Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today I want to talk to you on the subject, the day after, the day after. And uh, we're all very aware that this Tuesday is a pivotal moment in our nation's history. Election day is upon us. And by the end of Tuesday night, it's guaranteed that we will still not know who our president will be. (laughs) Guaranteed. It's most likely going to be a long and drawn out process that will continue to keep us at odds with one another, thus solidifying that we have truly become the divided states of America. But that's not what this sermon is about, so I want you to relax, okay? Um, I want to preface this with, with, with these words. This sermon, this is not a political sermon sermon, okay? So I want everybody to relax. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure this is a sermon. We're going to have plenty of scripture, and there's going to be some some godly direction, and I have no idea how we're going to land this plane, okay? This jet's coming in hot. And when we get to the end, I don't have that, that great illustration to, to land this thing on. And so I'm just telling the band, be ready, because I, at any moment, um, it, this might last five minutes, and you'll be back up here, and everybody else will be thankful. So um, we'll, we'll see. I'm not talking today about political parties, politicians, platforms, polls, or polarizing opinions. That's not what today is about at all. Instead, this is a message of hope during some very uncertain times. And so I want you to relax and I want you to discover how life should look on the day after election day for us as Christians. As Christian Americans, I think that we should have a very unique perspective come Wednesday morning. On Sunday night, November 20th, 1983, almost 10-year-old Rocky sat in the living room with his parents, gearing up to watch a made-for-TV movie called The Day After. Is anybody here uh, old enough to remember the movie The Day After that came on ABC? Anyone? Raise your hand. There's a few of us. Um, People all over America set everything aside to watch this movie on ABC called The Day After, it was estimated that more than 100 million people tuned in to watch this TV movie. It was set at the height of the Cold War, and and this depressing yet sobering movie told the story of a handful of citizens near Lawrence, Kansas, that survived all-out nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union, And it followed the consequences and the aftermath of this proposed possibility. That's the reason it was created. This was was a real thing. This, This could happen. And as you can imagine, this movie had quite an effect on its viewers, including President Ronald Reagan, who was able to view it, nearly uh, preview it, about a month earlier before it was released on TV in a private screening. And the result at the White House was a, was a policy change that eventually led to the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. I could get into that, but that's not what this is about today. The day after TV event was life-changing for many Americans. 
if you remember it, there was a true fear that gripped your heart as you watched this movie unfold. It made all of us consider the consequences of life and the loss of life the day after a nuclear attack. The day after big events can be both joyous to some people and it can be terrifying to other people. And depending on which side of the aisle that you are on, the day after the election might be disappointing or it might be exhilarating. And with a church our size, I can assure you that we've got people on both sides of the aisle. And I know that some people want to point at others and say, well, how could you vote that way when that person stands for this and then the other side, they point and say, well, how could you vote for that person when they stand for this? And it, and it becomes so polarizing. Whether we find out the results sooner or later, somebody is going to be disappointed in this election. There cannot be two winners. There can be millions of losers, but there cannot be two winners. And I believe that, that we as Christians, we do have a responsibility to vote according to our convictions. But after that, as Christians, now I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. I'm talking about a hope that we have as Christians. That we've got to learn to trust God with the outcome. Amen. That when you wake up Wednesday morning, whether it went your direction or not, whether it made you happy or not. We've got to learn as Christians to live with a hope inside of us that God is still God and God is still in control. After all, Romans 13 and 1 tells us that everyone, say everyone, didn't even have to look it up in the Greek. I know what that means. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Every time I'm called to pray, to give the invocation at, at a, 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 a city commission meeting or, or, or any event like that where there are elected officials there, I make sure that I pray this, that they have been placed there by the almighty hand of God. That scripture tells us, I want them to understand that, that they're in that position simply because God allowed them to be in that position. Thank you. And so when I pray, I pray at those commission meetings and I say, God, I thank you for these elected officials that you've placed for such a time as this. The outcome of this election will not catch God off guard. If I believe that positions of authority are appointed by God, the outcome of this election will not catch God off guard. Which leads me to the main point that I want to drive home today. And there's no, there's no hidden agenda here. This is it. This is what I want to tell you. On the day after, God is still in control. Amen. On the day after the election, God is still God. Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to be reading verses 57 through 66. Matthew 27, starting at verse 57 today. This was after the death of Christ on the cross. 
And it says, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last frog will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go. Make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. My focus verse today is this, verse 62. It says, the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. It's the day after. Jerusalem, rather, was a political hotbed on the day that Christ was crucified. I think sometimes it's hard for us to, to wrap our Christian American minds around what was happening in Israel at that moment. Throughout the New Testament, Israel is under Roman rule. And, and Rome was the great world power reaching well beyond its, its borders of Italy into Africa, Asia, and Europe. Israel's location was very strategic for the Roman Empire because it was the crossroads of where Europe, Asia, and Africa met. And so ruling Israel would give them free access. It was, it was a highway that they needed to gain access to all of those continents and connect them all together. What began as a republic that gave its citizens a voice in political and national affairs became corrupt with a high turnover rate in leadership as they would place leaders over certain re regions in certain areas. There was paranoia, paranoia and distrust and there was betrayal and there was this lust for power that weakened this growing empire of Rome. Some people didn't see it that way. They didn't realize that although Rome was growing, that it was becoming weaker. But there were some people in Israel that, that they had this hope. Some Jewish citizens that they realized that, that one day the Romans could be overthrown. Rome was powerful, but it had a chink in the armor, and they recognized that. And so to the Jews, history and Holy Scripture suggested to them that the coming Messiah could be just the man that could lead a successful revolt against the Roman Empire. Israel just needed a leader to lead them. Now, um, imagine the hope that some of them had when this man named Jesus showed up on the scene claiming to be the Son of God. They started hearing rumors about how he was healing people. The, the blind were seeing, the lame were walking, the lepers were being cleansed. There was even one report that this man went to a wedding and they ran out of wine and he changed water to wine. 
They're following the miraculous reports of this man and scratching their heads, wondering, could the, could the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah finally be coming to pass? Could, could this be the one? And they were gaining hope in their hearts because it seemed like this guy really was the son of God, that, that possibly he was that Messiah. He, he certainly convinced the 12 disciples. They were convinced. I mean, most of them would later give their lives for this calling. In Luke chapter 10, we know that there were 72 followers of his whom he sent out. We know that in Matthew chapter 15, that that Jesus had 4,000 men, not including women and children, that were there listening to him, and and he multiplied some food, and he fed them. We also know in Luke chapter 9 that there were 5,000 men, not including the women and children, that were under his leadership in that moment. So they were following him by the thousands. He had quite a following, and there were people that just believed in him. The ministry of Christ could have made a killing at some of their revivals uh, if they just would have set up a t-shirt stand, and, and, and they would have been selling MIGA hats and Make Israel great again, hats and t-shirts, you know. One way to fund the ministry. But those dreams were shattered when, when Jesus was crucified on the cross on a hill called Golgotha. The place of the skull. Everyone knew it well. And when he died on the cross, their dreams were shattered. It's possible that thousands were disappointed the day after that day. You can hear the disappointment in the voices of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after Jesus had been crucified and he had risen from the dead, but they haven't heard the report yet. They're walking along this road to Emmaus and Jesus joins them, but they don't recognize him. And they strike up conversation. And it's there in that conversation in Luke chapter 24 and verse 21 where it says something like, but we had hoped that he was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was going to be that guy. And they're walking in every step that they take. It seems that their dreams are being shattered more and more because the Messiah that they had hoped for, that they had prayed for, that they had believed for, that they had heard about for for hundreds of years, it seemed like he was the one, but, but now he's dead. All of that seemed lost when their hopes for a better tomorrow was laid in a tomb sealed behind a stone and heavily guarded. There's no chance that Christianity will survive. You talk about a death blow, a knockout punch, this was it. There's no chance that Christianity will survive this. It doesn't matter how how many miracles he performed and how many followers he had. He's now dead in a tomb, a rock in front of it, and and it it, it has a a guard, a soldier out there, a standing guard, so that no one can go and get that body. And as disappointing as all of that was, he was still just as much God and still in just as much control on the day after he he was crucified as he was the day before he was crucified. They didn't get it. We know the rest of the story. We have the hope because we know how this book ends and we know that in the end we win, or at least we should. Why don't we start living like that, church? 
Why don't we start living, not leaning on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledging him that no matter what happens on Tuesday or the months that follow, that he is still God and he is still in control and nothing is going to change that. You can stop believing that today or the day after today. And it's not going to change the fact that he still rules and reigns and that his kingdom is here and his kingdom is coming and he is going to rule and reign and those of us who believe, we get to rule and reign with him. Doesn't change the fact. God is still God on the day after the diagnosis. God is still God the day after the prognosis. God is still God on the day after the papers are served. God is still God on on the day after you fail the exam. God is still God on the day that you're lied about. God is still God on the day after the election. And God is still God on the day after he was crucified. And we've got to get that in our hearts. Man, I'm telling you, if Christianity in America could learn to trust like this, there is nothing that could stop us. If we would just learn to believe that no matter who sits on the throne in Washington, there is still someone who sits on the throne of this world. And his name is Jesus. Y'all, y'all come on. I've, I've got I've to land this thing. It's going to be a crash landing, but y'all just come on. I've said this for years, and, and some of you have been around here for, for a couple of elections now, and, and, and you, know, you know that this is true. I've preached that, that God, if it's true, if we believe what we read today, and that God appoints leaders, God will appoint a leader all throughout the Bible, you, you go, I have studied it. I promise. I don't make this statement just as a blanket statement. I've looked and I've researched this. I, I know this to be factual. This is true. God will appoint someone to lead. To either one, lead those people to repentance. Or two, force those people to repentance. And, and now I'm starting to believe that for some of us, probably most of us, if not all of us, that it doesn't matter who's elected, there's going to be some people who are led to repentance and some people who are forced to repentance. Sometimes the same exact leader that God appoints can can touch people in different ways. They don't realize it. But I ran across this scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 that will mess you up. In Hebrews 12, verses 27 and 28, it says, This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. This verse tells us, that sometimes God allows things to be shaken up and removed so that his unshakable kingdom will be revealed. And I'm afraid that we have so much freedom and comfort as American Christians that we don't understand what real persecution looks like to the Christian church. I understand there are some 
that believe that that freedom is under attack. I'm not going to disagree with that. But what you have to do is you have to understand that every time the church is under attack, every time Christianity is under attack, this movement was birthed under attack. They killed the man that's in charge of this thing. They put him in a tomb. They rolled a stone in front of it and sealed it shut and put an armed guard out front. It was started in the middle of strife. And it didn't stop after he is risen from the dead. Appears to more than 500 different people that testify that he's alive. These disciples become so courageous that the early church becomes so brave that they're willing to die for this thing, persecuted. There is not one person in this room. I, I, I can no longer say one person listening and hearing my voice. With us being on, online and, and live streaming, they're, they're watching in other countries right now. There's some people watching in other countries right now. They understand what real persecution is, and we're praying for you. But we don't get it. There's this old adage that states that one man's hero is another man's tyrant. If that doesn't describe this election, we don't have to go back too far in history to find some of the most evil political leaders that the world has ever known. Less than 500 years ago, there was Queen Mary I. And she was so ingrained in Catholicism. And, and I'm not saying that Catholics are, are, are bad. That's not what I'm saying. But how many of you do know that, that religion can, can be damaging if you're not careful? I'm not talking about a relationship with Christ. I'm talking about the worship of religion. Denominationalism. That can become damaging. And she was so ingrained with Catholicism that, that she just started killing Protestants. John, uh, John Fox's Book of Martyrs says that she killed over 300 people, earning her the nickname Bloody Mary. Just because they didn't worship the way that she wanted them to worship. We talk about Hitler. That had a plan to create a master race. And so what did he do? He went and he started eliminating Jews and gypsies and homosexuals and people with disabilities and, and anyone who differed from his political stance. And he's responsible for killing over 11 million people. We, we could come to just what's happened this year and, and we could talk about the current genocide that's happening right now in Nigeria to Christians. If you haven't read about it, it's horrendous. It's horrible. Not American Christians. I'm not talking about Americans that went to Nigeria and they're living there. No, I'm talking about people who were born and raised there who claim Christianity. They claim to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they're being killed by the thousands. We could talk about how in Saudi Arabia they, are, they have created just this year some extremely strict limitations on all forms of expression of Christianity, including public acts of worship, that you could be killed for doing what we're doing right now. And this list goes on and on and on. We don't have a clue what true persecution looks like. 
Evil exists, and at times it seems to be winning. But on the day after your worst day, God is still God. God is still God. And Christianity thrives under persecution. It exploded. It went from a a tiny little region in Judea. And under persecution, it began to spread. Like wildfire, it spread. To where one day it made its way around the globe. And it found me. Here's the greater concern, church. The day after the Lord's return has to become greater in our hearts than the day after the 2020 election. The day after Christ comes to receive his church has to be on the forefront of our minds. I don't think I've said anything today that is political. Listen, my my good joke, make Israel great again. That just take it for what it's, it's worth. There's, there's nothing meant there. But as your pastor, as your shepherd, I'm called to lead you beside still waters. Sheep won't drink from troubled waters. David understood that. And so he wrote those words. Followers of Christ, we drink from still waters. Whatever happens in this election, listen, I... I don't always agree with church signs, okay? Sometimes when you're riding down the road and you see those churches with their little marquee signs, they can become extremely offensive to the unbeliever. I believe in becoming all things to all men, and sometimes you gotta be careful. But you pass by it every day, and there's this, there's this, this church that, that is between here and Gainesville, and they put something on their sign this week, and I love it. I don't always love it, but I love it doesn't matter who's president Jesus is still king Amen. Amen. and so we as believers we, we just have to believe that it's time that we stop calling ourselves believers and then living life in so much doubt and so much fear it's time that we just start believing that no matter who wins, no matter what agenda is being pushed. Listen, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or, or your vote doesn't matter. Um, that's a joke. That is a joke, I promise. No matter where you're at in this thing, you have survived a president, an opposing president already. You've, you've already been down this road, okay? We're going to be okay, and in the end, church wins because he wins. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.